0: Welcome to episode 9 of the Mysterious Benedict Society, read on podcast book 4. Today we'll be reading chapter 9, but first a recap of chapter 8. Everyone was very worried about S.Q. because the Tinmen, Men, specifically McCracken, were going after him according to Constance. Renny figured out where S.Q. was, which was the street fair. Kate then immediately dashed away to try and warn him before the Tinmen Men got there. When she arrived, she was met with everyone leaving the street fair, saying there was a gas leak. Kate, deciding this was too coincidental, went right on ahead. She found a hooded fortune teller in a back alley all alone, and when Kate tried to help, the fortune teller started tapping in Morse code that this was a trap. Kate understood, but didn't leave, and you'll never guess who showed up then, McCracken, and a whole bunch of ten men, of course. There was a big epic fight, and the fortune teller turned out to be Milligan in disguise and helped Kate. In the end, Kate and Milligan won. Milligan informed Kate that he disguised SQ as a clown and got him safely away before anything could happen to him. Then they just sat, enjoying some quality father and daughter secret agent time together. So that's the end of the summary, but before we get started, I have a shout out to give to Eliza. Thank you Eliza for listening, I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast, and now, we begin! Chapter 9. The Importance of Lollipops and Ice Cream In the moments after Kate Weatherall, disguised as Captain Plug, faded from view on the motorcycle, the remaining society members were at a loss. It was difficult to think of anything other than what might happen to SQ or Kate, or both, and yet there was a little boy in their midst, and they all felt the need to protect him from worry. So they tried very hard to compose themselves and clear their minds of anxious thoughts as they awaited word. "'Do you um, want to go and check our clothes in the fumigator?' Sticky asked Ty." "'No thanks,' Ty said, opening the drawer on Rennie's desk that contained the peppermints. He took out the tin and looked at Rennie. "'One,' Rennie said. "'Do you have to be an orphan like me and Constance?' Ty asked as he finished out a peppermint. "'Where you can hear people talking in their heads. Constance says she doesn't know.' The other three felt themselves relax a little. From Ty's point of view, the mysterious Benedict Society had saved the world, and naturally assumed that they would be able to take care of the current situation as well, no matter what might be involved. In short, he wasn't worried.' As long as I kept relatively calm, it seemed to be fine. We talked about the orphan angle on his way here, Constance said, rolling up her sleeves again. We can't know about the listener, she doesn't know herself. But Ty and I are the only telepaths in the region, as far as we can tell, and we've both been orphans all our lives. Could be a coincidence, Rennie said, but if so, it's a really interesting one. He looked at Sticky who rubbed his scalp thoughtfully. We do know, Sticky began slowly, that certain kinds of stress, and the presence or absence of certain factors in one's environment, cause different kinds of chemical reactions in the formation of the developing brain. Tai took the peppermint out of his mouth. What does that mean? He asked brightly, then popped the peppermint back in. It means it's possible, Rennie said, but hard to say. Ty removed the peppermint again. Do you know there's a country of my name in it? He asked, changing the subject for no apparent reason. Do you mean Taiwan? Asked Sticky. Tai, who had been returning the peppermint to his mouth, froze in mid-motion. "'Yes!' he whispered, awestruck. His face lit up. "'Do you want to see it on the globe? I can show you!' Why, of course, the others assured him they would be delighted to see Taiwan on the globe. And so, exchanging glances that betrayed mixed emotions, the older three followed Tai downstairs to the sitting room, where he carefully turned the massive globe with both hands. Sticky and Rinny watched expectantly, knowing exactly when the globe would stop spinning, and Constance, who had always avoided studying geography, pretended to do the same. "'Here!' Ty exclaimed at last, jabbing his finger on the globe. "'I told you!' "'You certainly did,' Rene acknowledged gently. "'He had brought the two-way radio with him, "'and he looked around now for a good place to put it. "'His nerves were so on edge he felt sure "'that if it squawked while under his arm "'he would drop it with a yelp. "'My grandparents used to live there,' Ty observed. "'It seems strange. "'My finger covers the whole world.' "'He lifted his finger from the globe, "'drew his eye to the close point he'd been covering, "'then put his finger back and shook his head.' Constance was peeking over his shoulder to get a fix on the country's location. She was annoyed to discover how far off her own guess would have been. "'How do you know where your grandparents are from?' Chai shrugged. "'I heard the headmaster thinking about it once. I guess someone must have told him.' "'Do you know anything about your parents?' Rini asked. He set the radio next to a stack of books on the piano. The little boy was spinning the globe again, rather fast this time, evidently just to watch it spin. "'I think they got something bad in the mail,' he said uncertainly. "'That's what the headmaster thought.' Ty, I think your parents were scientists, Sticky exclaimed to everyone's surprise. Oh, yeah, Ty said. Lee looked admiringly over his shoulder at Sticky. The headmaster thought that, too. You really do know everything. But how did you know about my parents? That seems weird. Rennie and Constance wondered the same thing. Sticky explained that he had read about them in the newspaper and science journals. Mm-hmm. They were well known scientists, he said, a brilliant married couple working together on major projects. It came out after they, well, after the emergency, that they had been secretly working on an invention that could track people from far away by tracing their unique chemical signatures. Basically, a sophisticated long-distance bloodhound. Once it smelled, analyzed, you know, something that had belonged to someone, it would be able to locate that person almost anywhere. There's been plenty of debate about whether their invention could have worked if they lived long enough to finish it. They had some good ideas, though, and were clearly determined to try. "'Why would they do that?' asked Ty, who had stopped spinning the globe and turned to look at Sticky. He didn't seem upset, only curious. This was not especially surprising to Constance for Rennie, who had always been orphans themselves. But Sticky felt a bit disconcerned talking about Ty's parents, afraid of upsetting him. "'They, uh, your parents? I mean, I mean, I don't know why, but—' Constance cut in. "'During the emergency, the Whisperer was telling everybody the missing aren't missing, they're only departed. Just up here, you know,' she said, tapping her forehead. "'So people were confused.' "'But lots of people were actually disappearing, thanks to Mr. Curtin and his thugs. "'And some people, anyway, were noticing. "'People like us,' Sticky interjected. "'People with an unusually strong love of the truth. "'Which means that some people,' Constance continued with an annoyed look at Sticky, "'really wanted to try find where their loved ones were. "'Your parents were probably trying to help people like that. "'I think they were heroes, Ty.' "'Really?' Ty ran over and grabbed Constance's hands, "'which, much to her surprise, caused tears to spring into her eyes.' I mean, she said in a choked voice, I think so. Yay, Ty said and hugged her. Sticky and Rennie, meanwhile, surreptitiously wiped at their own eyes. Wow, you're all feeling the exact same way, Ty exclaimed. It's weird. Oh boy, Rennie murmured. And then in a louder voice, he said, George, what was this business about getting something bad in the mail, though? Sticky shook his head. Just a tragic accident. They ordered some chemicals for their experiments and one of them arrived mislabeled. In many cases, it wouldn't have mattered, but they were doing really unusual work and they ended up mixing some things that put them to sleep and they didn't wake up. Simmy grimaced at this and Rennie and Constance each held their breath, all wondering how Ty would respond to this account. It's okay, everybody, Ty said with a very grown-up sounding sigh. I never even knew them. Anyway, you're my family now. At this, three backs straightened, three pairs of eyes widened, and three brains started racing. This was turning out to be a most complicated day. Despite the day's challenges, dinner was something of a celebratory affair. Captain Plug, Myra brushing off the news of her damaged motorcycle, had at a rather less-than-successful squash casserole, which everyone, even young Ty, and in fact Constance, was pretending to enjoy. The kind guard had also brought up three tubs of ice cream for dessert, the knowledge of which somewhat softened the blow of dinner. And here sat Kate, wriggling with them about her account of the street family, which was, as she had termed in her encounter with the Tin Men, relatively unharmed and indeed almost giddy. Milligan was safe in receiving proper care in the secret security hospital. McCracken and several of his coons were already back in custody. Nobody had expected the turn of events, but all things considered, the day seemed to have gone rather well. He threw an ice cream truck at Milligan? Ty asked. Not for the first time. He was enthralled by the story. Technically, he only threw the motorcycle at me, Kay said laughing, and pushed the ice cream truck into Milligan, who in his defense was at the same time fanning off sharp and trying to keep McCracken from getting to me. Plus, you know he's out of practice. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have avoided the ice cream truck attack. Rennie chuckled a little absently. He was pleased with the good news, of course, but there was still plenty of tin men out there, more than a baker's half dozen, he thought, and the situation was still thoroughly precautious. He'd never stopped thinking about the message that Mr. Brunick had sent. Where one who stands defies the name, where one who stands defies... But at the same time, he'd never been able to fully concentrate it. The message was important, there could be no doubt. Yet Rennie's brain felt pulled in a hundred different directions. His only consolation was that the tinmen men seemed to be holding in a pattern. Both sides were in a waiting game whose roles had yet to become clear. Constance, meanwhile, was slipping a forkful of gloopy casserole onto Sticky's plate. It was the third such forkful, and Sticky, who was just as distracted as Rennie, had yet to notice. He just kept glancing down at his plate with concealed dismay, continuing to eat what was in front of him. Anyway, Kate was saying, once Milligan was sure that McCracken and company were properly dealt with, he sent every available agent to find that warehouse where Collins and the listener will hold up. They weren't crack agents, but five of them against one men man made for decent odds. And they might be the best chance to get the listener away from them. Which could very well turn this whole thing around, you know. And sure enough, they found the warehouse. But it was empty, Constance interrupted. We know. Oh, you do? Kate looked disappointed. Sticky jerked a thumb at Constance. She knew the moment the listener sensed the agents nearby. The listener was focusing all her attention on them. Constance actually tried to distract her, but she failed. Constance gave him a withering look. Really? You couldn't find a better way to put that? Stiggy grimaced. Sorry, I mean, it just didn't work. He looked down at his plate. Where to his distressed. His serving of squash casserole seemed only to have grown. Kate sighed. Just once, I'd like to report something you didn't already know. We didn't know about the ice cream truck, Ty said, waving his fork in the air and sending a glob of casserole onto the table near Rennie's plate. Thanks for it, Kate said, ruffling Ty's hair and grinning. Rennie forked the gloop onto his plate and covered it with a napkin. To Kate and Captain Plug, he said... Constance had tried to guess where the listener is now, but the listener seems to have learned from Constance. She knows how to muddy the waters. "'I think they're in another warehouse,' Constance said, "'but she might be pulling one over me. If I concentrate right now, for instance, I can see—' "'What? No! No!' Constance flung her foot onto the table and covered her eyes. "'No!' The others were instantly gathered around her as she rocked in her chair. "'What's the matter, Connie girl?' Kate asked, touching her lightly on the arm. "'What's happening?' "'She's not just with Crawlings anymore,' Conson said. "'There are other Tenmen with them. "'Crawlings has told her what to do. "'They know where McCracken and the others are being transferred to. "'They're already there, and she's—' "'She just read the mind of the guard at the security gate. "'She's giving Crawlings the code! "'No, stop it!' Rennie leaped to the radio, intending to send out a warning, "'but it just squawked as he reached it. "'Everyone stared at the radio as it squawked again, "'followed by an agent's voice. "'Mayday! Transfer compromised! I repeat!' "'But the agent did not repeat anything. "'The radio went silent.' Everyone looked back at Constance, who was shaking her head furiously. She lowered her hands, her eyes shining with tears. That man, she said. I hate that man. McCracken, Ty whispered, and his own eyes filled with tears. He began to tremble. He's hes hurting people. He's hurting lots of people. Even before Ty finished speaking, Kate had scooped him up. He buried his face in her neck and cried. Shh, she whispered. Shh, it's okay. They're going to be okay. Constance was wiping her eyes, though she looked even more upset now. "'Sorry. I'm so sorry, Ty. I was... I guess I was concentrating on it so much. Too much. Listen, he's not hurting anyone anymore. He's going away with crawlings and the others. The agents. Kate's right. They're going to be okay.' Sticky put his hand on Constance's shoulder. "'It's true, Ty. They'll go to the hospital where Milligan is. They'll get better there. They'll... they'll probably get lollipops if you want to know the truth.' His friends all winced. They seemed like too obvious a ploy to make the little boy feel better. And yet, after a moment, Ty straightened and wiped his own eyes. Will they really? Sticky cleared his throat. Well, certainly if they ask for them. If they want lollipops, they'll be, be given lollipops, no doubt about it. Ty nodded. Whether he actually believed this or simply wanted to believe it seemed to make no difference. His anxious eyes grew less troubled, and he rested his head on Kate's shoulder. Speaking of treats, when he said, I believe it's time for dessert, how would that be? Ty nodded again, and everyone sprang into action. Grave looks past among them in the kitchen, but in the dining room with Ty, as bowls were set out and the ice cream is scooped. All minds focused very diligently on the ice cream. You call it the blab? Ty asked with a giggle. Well, Kate does, Sticky replied as they descended the stairs, and she calls the noise cancellation device the husher. Get it? Because it hushes you. I get it, Ty said, and you keep it in the blab. That's why we're going down there first? You catch on quick, Sticky said. The little boy agreed to accompany Sticky to the rooftop patio for the last bit of cleanup. The idea of using the platform again would have been tempting enough, but promises of working in complete silence—you won't even be able to hear yourself—he made the opportunity irresistible. There was just enough daylight left for them to do the job. No need for lights then, and the husher would ensure that they couldn't be heard from the street. Sticky poked his head into Rennie's study on the way to the roof. Sticky nodded, and the others nodded back, and he withdrew. At first, Renny thought that Sticky and Tide had taken the stairs, for there was none of the platform's telltale rattling and clanking down the hall. But then his mind registered several small details the subtle change in the air pressure, among other things, and he knew that they had taken the platform with the husher already engaged. We need to be ready, Rennie said. I am ready, Constance said, though what she really looked for was an exhaustive collapse in bed. Kate, holding Madge on one gloved, protected hand, was stroking her feathers soothingly, felt no need to say that she was always ready, although she did think it. Down in the courtyard, Captain Plug was pretending to pull up weeds, or rather, she was actually pulling up weeds, but not at any great pace. Polanyi waited her excuse to be in the courtyard when the tinmen arrived, the better to casually greet them at the gate and avoid their coming to the door. And the tinmen would arrive. Of this there could be no doubt. McCracken knew Kate was in town now, so of course he would send someone to check Mr Bernick's house. Perhaps he would even come again himself. He's got to be nursing a whole whooping headache from the tranquilizer serum, though, Kate said quietly, picking up the conversation where they left off a minute before. And he probably thinks I wouldn't risk coming here anyway. I doubt he'll waste his precious time. Though you're right, Renny, I'm sure i will send someone, just to be absolutely certain. And if he seen callings with the listener? This was their greatest concern. If the listener would be dispatched to their premises. If that happened, their chances of avoiding detection would suddenly grow dismal. He doesn't like moving her around the city, though, he pointed out. He prefers to keep her hidden away. I don't think he'll risk sending her here. Not he thinks you'll probably aren't here anyway. They all nodded, all hoping this was true, all fearing it wasn't. Their answer came soon enough. Twilight was settling in, and the light growing dim and bluish with the occasional firefly blinking here and there over the courtyard. When the radio squawked, a sentry informed them that a familiar luxury car was heading into the neighborhood. It wasn't bright enough outside to determine who was in the car, however. Rennie thanked the sentry and shut off the radio, whose squawks were so loud they might be heard from the courtyard. He also turned off the overhead light. His fingers were slippery on the switches. He discovered his hands were damp with perspiration. Rennie went to join Kate at the window. Constance, for her part, remained seated at the desk. Captain Plug had pulled the last of the weeds and was raking them into a basket when the car glided up to the curb. The car doors opened simultaneously. One of them, to everyone's relief, stepped the scaredy-cats. Each man was holding his head in precisely the same way, each had precisely the same pained expression. They approached the gate. Captain Plug went to meet them. She carried the rake in such a way that suggested she would rake them both, if the oblivion, if necessary. Riddy whispered, "'They drew the short straws, I guess.' No, Kate whispered, I'll bet McCracken's punishing them for getting taken down by little old me. Shut, Constance whispered, up. She was scowling with concentration, her eyes closed, her fingertips pressed to her temples. She had told them that the listener, her concentration noticeably deteriorated, was every bit exhausted as Constance herself was, but Constance was still throwing as much mental garbage at her as she could possibly muster. For the listener was surely new that the Cats brothers were coming here, and if she perceived that Constance was aware of their presence now, then the jig was up. The listener would know that Constance was hiding out in Mr. Benedict's house. That was why Constance avoided looking out the window. She was concentrating on real and imagined scenes, anything other than what was happening right now. And yet at the same time, she was reserving a fraction of her attention, a quiet corner for the present moment, just in case. The Cats brothers were arguing with Captain Plug, who had raised her voice. She was speaking so loudly, in fact, that the Timmen were wincing, not from fear, but rather because the loud noise worsened their headaches. Nonetheless, they kept glancing at the house, methodically checking all the windows. One of the men, Rennie noticed, had placed his hand on top of the fence near the gate, among the roses growing there. He leaned forward to snap angrily at Captain Plug, who snapped back and rattled her rake at him, and then he jerked his hand away, evidently having pricked himself on a thorn. His brother, meanwhile, made it as if to push through the gate, and as Captain Plug shifted sideways to block his entry, the first man placed his head on top of the fence again, more carefully this time. He seemed to have no words for the guard, however, and at length he and his brother retreated with mocking bows, got into their car, and drove away. "'They're gone,' Renny told Constance. Constance made no reply except to lower her head to a desk with a soft groan. There was a tap at the door. Renny opened it to find Sticky and Ty in the hallway. He gestured them into the study and turned on the light. Constance groaned again and did not look up. Kate told Sticky and Ty what had happened. "'The question is whether they actually believed Captain Plug,' Kate said. "'Maybe they just her to think they believe her. "'Maybe they're planning on coming back.' I think there's a way we can find out, Rennie said. One of them kept putting his hand on top of the fence, even though he got pricked by a rose thorn. Why would he do that? My guess is he's hiding some kind of sensor there. I'm on it, Sticky said, heading for the computer station in his office. Presently, his voice came over the intercom. You were right, Rennie. I found a signal from a camera, getting a fix on what is transmitting. There was a pause. Okay, he's good. The angle is perfect. I can tell it's tiny and probably impossible to see among the roses, but it is a clear shot of the front door. "'I'm actually looking at Captain Plug right now. "'She's coming inside.' "'They could all hear the sound of the front door closing below. "'No surprise, there's a second signal,' Sticky's voice reported. "'And yep, they placed one covering the back door, too. "'Roger that!' Ty shouted. "'Kate and Rennie flinched, Constance groaned, "'and Ty looked around, beaming. "'Nice job,' Kate said. "'The good news,' Rennie said when Sticky rejoined them, "'is that they clearly don't think Kate's here. "'They've hidden the cameras in case she shows up.' Ty tugged on Rennie's sleeve. "'Is the bad news that they'll know if we leave "'because they can see the doors?' Rennie tapped his nose and pointed at Ty, who tapped his own nose and pointed back. The sound of the Captain Plug's heavy tread on the stairs announced her approach. She entered the study and looking cautiously pleased. "'I wondered why it was so easy to persuade them to leave,' she said after they had told her about the cameras. "'Honestly, they didn't seem to be trying very hard. They just kept saying that they needed to come inside and talk with me in private, and I kept telling them they'd dream on. I could see they were studying the house, of course, but more than anything, they seemed preoccupied with their headaches. They looked like they just wanted to go to bed.' They did just want to go to bed, Constance growled, at last looking up with her bloodshot eyes. And they were preoccupied by their headaches, I made sure of that. And now I just want to go to bed, and I'm preoccupied with my headache. Constance nudged them, Ty cried in delight, and it gave her a headache too. Rennie squeezed Ty's shoulder and said very softly, You're right, I guess we should use our quiet voices for her, shouldn't we? Ty nodded, tapping his news. The listener fell asleep, Constance muttered, right in the middle of everything. I could feel her just sort of vanish. I'm sure she couldn't help it. Anyway, with her out of the picture, I decided not to take any chances. I immediately focused on the scared cats and yeah, I nudged them. "'But you couldn't even see them,' Kate said, using her quiet voice. "'I know they were close by, but don't you normally have to see or hear people talking to do your thing?' "'I felt too exhausted to get up,' Constance said, "'so I just sort of piggybacked on what you and Rennie were seeing. "'You were both concentrating very hard. "'I know it's against the rules, but give me a break, will you?' "'Break granted,' Rennie affirmed, and with thanks.' "'Now you need to get yourself into bed, Constance. If the listener's asleep, this is your opportunity, right?' "'You don't have to tell me twice,' Constance said, dragging herself to her feet. "'And you should come with me, Ty. If you wake up in the night, then you have to wake me up right away, understand? No being awake without me.' "'Roger that,' Ty said very quietly. He glanced around for approving looks. Everybody gave him one. Everybody also yawned. The mere thought of sleep had reminded them how exhausted they were, and it was quickly agreed that they would all go to bed, too.' With the listener desperately needing her sleep, it seemed unlikely that the Baker's Desert would be making a move tonight. Nonetheless, Captain Plug would monitor her radio until one of the society members rose in the early morning, and then the guard would turn in. Let's hope for good rest, he said. Something tells me tomorrow is going to be a long day. are all days the same length? asked Ty. Not tomorrow, kid, Kate said, giving him a wink. Tomorrow we save the world. That always takes longer. <laughs>